Welcome to Biz Help For You with host Candy Messer. Entrepreneurs like to focus on the big picture, like profitability, success, and a smooth running organization. There always seems to be those little things like taxes, employee compensation, laws, regulations, and more. Now you can get the answers you need in one place. Join us today as we break it all down for you. Now, here is your host, Candy Messer. Hi, this is Candy Messer, and you are listening to Biz Help for You on Voice America. I'm so glad you're joining us today. It's the launch of our radio show, and I want it to be a resource for you of information for topics related to running a successful business. Although our industry is in the areas of bookkeeping and payroll, we want to share information in other arenas to help you learn tips and tricks to be profitable. If there's a topic of interest to you, please send an email to us with your ideas at media at abandp.com. That's media at A as an apple, B as in boy, the word and, P as in paul.com. If you'd like to call later in the show, please make a note of the number. It's 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. I'll share the information again a bit later as well. Since this is our first show, and you may not know about me or affordable bookkeeping and payroll services, I wanted to give a background information to help you get to know us. I never intended to be an entrepreneur. I didn't know anyone who owned a business except for my grandfather, who I got to see once every two to three years. We'd visit in the summer, and he worked a lot of hours when we visited because his work could only be done in good weather. And he lived in Indiana, where it snowed and rained quite a bit in winter and spring. My grandmother did the administrative work to run the company. So they were both busy each day. So other than that small exposure to entrepreneurship, I didn't know anyone who ran a company, and I never thought I would be one of them. I began my first real job as a cashier in a retail store, and I continued working there as I made my way through college. I majored in business management, and I thought I was going to continue up the corporate ladder after graduation, as I'd started working there at 17, and I saw the potential for my career in the management program. I had four promotions by the time I was 22 and graduating college. At that point, I could have gone into management training program that would allow me to continue up the corporate ladder, but I was about to be married and knew I wanted children and I realized a career in retail wasn't conducive to the family time I'd wanted to have. I decided to stay in the management position I had without pursuing another promotion. Within three years, I had one child and due to deliver my second. When my son was born, I took a leave of absence to be able to stay at home with both kids and make sure that was the life I wanted to pursue. When my leave was up, I left my career and was an at-home mom for three years. I went back to work when a preschool needed assistance while the director was on a medical leave. My kids were the same age as kids in the school, so I could take them to work with me. After the director came back six months later, I decided I wanted to get back into regular work, even if only part-time. I was made aware of an accounts receivable position in a publishing company, and I began to work a few days a week. Soon after I started, the person in the accounts payable department left, and I became the full-charge bookkeeper of the company. I handled everything from setting up new clients, creating invoices for customers, entering purchase orders, closing out the POs when product was received, including entering bills for vendor payments, writing checks, reconciling accounts, and even collections were duties I handled. I don't know if any of you have a mom like mine, but if you do, she tells those she knows about what her kids are doing. One of the people who knew what I did was my mom's manicurist. One day, I went with my mom to her appointment, and the manicurist told me she wanted my help. She said her husband had a business, and she helped him, but she wanted someone else to do some of the work. She said that she could do the customer invoicing and pay the bills, but she absolutely hated reconciling accounts. She asked me to help for a few months before I agreed to assist her. But I lived in a city that charged not only a business license, 
but a home operating permit for working out of my apartment. I wasn't going to make any money helping my client after paying those costs. I realized I needed to have a few more clients. I started helping a couple of entrepreneurs who needed bookkeeping done once a month so I could continue to do my, quote, real job, quote, while I started my business. In 2004, my husband strongly encouraged me to quit my real job and focus on my own business since he knew I enjoyed it and people needed my help and I would have more time to work with customers. In 2005, I was introduced to a tax preparer who had an employee assisting with the bookkeeping and payroll, but she was going out on maternity leave and she didn't think she was going to return. She wanted to sell those clients so she didn't have to hire new staff, and she suggested I share office space with her, which would make it an easy transition for the clients. And that is how affordable bookkeeping and payroll began, since we needed to have a similar name when answering the phone. I started the company with just myself and hired my first employee the following year. Because of the growth of my company, I had to find my own space in order to expand my workforce, and I opened an office in Harbor City, California in 2007. As of today, I have seven additional workers to assist you with your bookkeeping and payroll needs. The mission of Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is to energize business owners by removing the burden of the bookkeeping, payroll, sales tax, and other compliance issues from their shoulders, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do what they love. We work with service-based businesses, including medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and fitness centers, including multiple franchises. We are also a full-service payroll company assisting clients with 1 to 120 employees with both full and self-service options. Full service means we handle all payroll processing tasks from entering hours for employees, calculating the figures, paying the taxes, and filing all reports. Self-service gives clients the ability to process the payroll hours for employees through our online portal, which allows them to save money by doing part of the work themselves. We are different than many bookkeeping and payroll companies when it comes to our pricing. We cater the services to the specific needs of our clients and offer fixed pricing, allowing them to know exactly how much they will pay each month. And payroll is charged monthly with no additional fees for quarterly or annual filings, including no setup or w- per W-2 fees, rather than each time a payroll is run. We also don't debit the client's bank account the same day payroll is run for the taxes due for clients who don't have to pay until the following month. This allows them to have their cash available to them for longer, giving them better cash flow. Our goal is not only to help our clients with the things they have to do in their business, but often don't want to do, but also to educate them on issues so that they avoid penalties and interest that may be assessed for failing to meet guidelines, such as business license filings, sales tax payments, and 1099 processing. That is one of the main reasons we have started this radio show. If you know of someone who would find the information we'll be sharing on this program helpful, please share the link with them so they can join us. And since this is our first show, and we plan to talk about business topics, I thought it would be great to discuss what a business is according to the IRS. Since this program is intended to help business owners, let's make sure we understand how the IRS determines if an endeavor is considered a business or if it's only a hobby. Someone can start up a company for any number of reasons, but perhaps they were laid off from their job and they need something new. Perhaps they've always wanted to have a business, or maybe it was a hobby that grew into something more substantial. But it doesn't matter if we think it's a business or not. It's the IRS that determines if the work being done is truly a business or something being done for fun. Whether it's the startup of your dreams the side gig to which you devote all your spare time, or your main money maker, if you've taken a loss in your endeavor and deducted your expenses as those of a business, there comes a time when the IRS will question whether you're running a company or you simply have a hobby. 
the IRS does not allow deducting hobby expenses to create a loss to offset against other income. This is called the hobby loss rule. Businesses often lose money the first few years of operation, but it's expected that a legitimate endeavor will eventually begin to make a profit. And it's not just startup businesses that may need to prove they aren't a hobby. Those who have been around quite a while can have financial struggles causing losses in the business. There could be a downturn in the economy like we experienced in 2008 to 2010, and for some companies, even beyond, that can play a major factor in the continuing success of the business. Labor cost increases can make it harder to stay profitable, especially in states that have had large percentage increases for minimum wage on top of mandatory sick pay and other expenses such as health insurance that continue to hit the bottom line. I've often thought of businesses that may be considered hobbies as those that are small and often have been started for fun or for a little extra income. For instance, I have a client who started a business making holiday cards and birthday invitations. She originally enjoyed creating them for her family's special occasions. Friends would see them and tell her she should start selling them, and eventually she did. It went from a hobby to a business. She now sells at boutiques, at shows in her home, and online. Her revenue, although not a lot compared to other businesses, is profitable and indeed a business. But the opposite can happen as well. I had another client who came to me years ago to help her with her bookkeeping. She had a jewelry making business and although small compared to others who do similar work, also profitable. But over the years, her focus on the business became less and she started to lose money the last few years. It had become a hobby when considering the factors we are about to discuss. As of this year, she has closed her business. The IRS or the tax court, if being decided by a judge, needs to determine if the activity was being done in order to generate a profit. Section 183 of the tax law provides, in general, that an individual will not be allowed any deduction attributable to an activity if such activity is not engaged for profit. Section 183C5 defines an activity not engaged for profit as any activity that is neither a trade or a business, nor for the production of income for purposes of Section 212, 1, or 2, which we'll discuss in a little bit more detail. The threshold test for determining whether an activity constitutes a trade or a business so as to allow a deduction for expenses under Section 162 is whether the primary purpose and intention of the taxpayer in engaging the activity is to make a profit. And again, I will explain those two sections in just a few minutes. The IRS knows that some people start businesses that are in fact hobbies so that they can reduce their tax liability by claiming the expenses on their tax returns. Because of this, the IRS wants to see proof that the endeavor is in fact meant to become a profitable business. According to the IRS Section 183 publication, a number of taxpayers who have significant income from other sources reduce their taxable income by reporting losses from activities that may or may not be engaged in for profit. It is up to the IRS examiners to make a factual determination whether an activity is engaged in for profit. On September 27, 2007, the Treasury Inspector General for Tax Administration issued a report entitled Significant Challenges Exist in Determining Whether Taxpayers with Schedule C Losses Are Engaged in Tax Abuse. The review looked at high-income, small-business, self-employed taxpayers, totaling income sources of $100,000 or greater, who claimed business losses using a U.S. individual income tax return, profit or loss from Schedule C, for activities considered to be not-for-profit. The results of the audit found the following. In general, if a taxpayer has hobby income and expenses, the expense deduction should be limited to the hobby income amount. About 1.5 million taxpayers, many with significant income from other sources, filed Form 1040 Schedule C, showing no profit over consecutive tax years 2002 to 2005. By claiming these losses to reduce their taxable income, about 1.2 million of the 1.5 million taxpayers 
potentially avoided paying $2.8 billion in taxes in the tax year 2005. Changes are needed to prevent taxpayers from continually deducting losses in potentially not-for-profit activities to reduce their tax liabilities. And it's about time for us to take our first break. Uh, When we come back, we're going to look into the factors that the IRS uses to determine if an endeavor is considered a business or a hobby. You're listening to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer on Voice America Internet Radio. We'll be right back after this brief commercial break. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. Today we live in a truly global environment. Business can more easily be conducted now in almost any part of the world. How do you, as a business owner or professional, navigate the ever-changing business landscape? Tune in to Leadership Beyond Borders with host Kimberly J. Lewis. With a worldwide resource of guests, you'll find out what opportunities and challenges surround diverse and virtual organizations. Listen live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. U.S. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. You are listening to Biz Help For You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abnp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to Biz Help For You. Welcome back to Biz Help For You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, I gave my career background and how affordable bookkeeping and payroll services came to be. But now it's time to get back to the main topic for today and learn more about the hobby loss rule and how the IRS determines if an endeavor is a business or not. The first hobby loss provision in the Internal Revenue Code was enacted by the Revenue Act of 1943 as Internal Revenue Code Section 270. The act was intended to limit the ability of individuals with multiple sources of income to apply losses incurred in sideline diversions to reduce their overall tax liabilities. The code was repealed by the Tax Reform Act of 1969, effective for tax years beginning after December 31, 1969, and it was replaced with the Internal Revenue Code, Section 183. Taxpayers bear the burden of proving that they engaged in the activity with an actual and honest objective of realizing a profit. So what are the factors the IRS uses to determine if the activity is a true business or just a hobby? Let's take a look at the nine factors that they are going to use to make their decision. Number one, the manner in which the taxpayer carries on the activity. Some things that they may look for. 
Do you have a business license? Cities generally require one, even if working out of your home. The fees paid for these can be based on various factors. I've seen fees based on gross income, number of employees, or total compensation paid to staff. If working from home, you may also be required to apply for a home operating permit. Do you have a DBA, also known as doing business as? Have you filed that with your county? If you're not a corporation, but operate with a name other than your own legal one used on a tax return, you must apply for a DBA. Often, you must also publish a notice in a local newspaper announcing the DBA. Do you have a seller's permit with your state sales tax agency? If selling taxable products in your state, or more recently to other states, and we'll discuss this change next week, you must be in possession of a seller's permit and remit tax collected to the state agency to which the tax is due. Do you market your business? Did you create a website? Did you purchase business cards? Is it obvious you're running a business? Can customers easily find you? Do you have business hours? Someone with a hobby most likely won't have set business hours. Someone running a company will most likely have set hours of operation. Do you have proper accounting records? Tracking everything in Excel, an accounting software, hiring a bookkeeper? The more formal your record keeping, the more obvious it is that you are running a business. Treasury regulations provides that taxpayers must keep permanent books of account or records, including inventories, as are sufficient to establish the amount of gross income, deductions, credits, or other matters required to be shown in the taxpayer's returns. Do you have insurance? Personal home insurance doesn't cover accidents that occur in the course of business. Showing a liability policy in the name of the business shows the activity is not only a hobby, but that you are protecting yourself in the event something were to happen. Do you have a separate bank account? This is a very important factor. If using your personal account only, it doesn't appear your activity is meant to be seen as a separate business, and it makes your bookkeeping more complicated. Do you have a business plan? It should demonstrate your financial and economic forecast. A business plan should show a short-range and long-range forecast for the activity. The forecast should allow for changes due to potential, unforeseen, and fortuitous circumstances, and it should be realistic. Factor number two, the expertise of the taxpayers or his advisors. Are you an expert in this area? Do you take additional classes to improve your skills? As a business owner should always be improving their craft, the IRS also looks to see if the taxpayer has spent any effort to continuously learn more about their trade, especially when relating to market research and how to make their endeavor more profitable. This could be something as simple as a course provided at an adult education facility, a seminar hosted by another company in the industry, or attending webinars. Factor number three, the time and effort extended, excuse me, expended by the taxpayer in carrying on the activity. In the case of a hobby, it's usually only pursued when convenient or fun for the taxpayer. If a true business, the entrepreneur has to work even when they don't feel like it. They may miss out on fun activities with family because they have to get their work done. This is especially true when operating a startup business. Owners must work long hours as they usually don't have a lot of resources to pay staff to help. For instance, in the summer when kids are out of school and headed to the beach, the parent continues to work to create their product or provide their service which is exactly why the amount of time and effort spent working throughout the week is a great tell whether the endeavor is a business or a hobby. The taxpayer must devote time to the business in the honest belief that the business will sometime in the future become profitable. Factor number four, the expectation that the assets used in the activity may appreciate in value. Put simply, Is it possible for the taxpayer to make a continuous profit, given time, through the endeavor or not? Will bank account balances increase over time? Will the business need to invest in additional equipment to be more efficient? If not, 
it's probably a hobby. It is necessary for the taxpayer to show what their projected profit is expected to be. A taxpayer's profit expectations may include appreciation in the value of assets used in the activity. Factor number five, the success of the taxpayer in carrying on similar or dissimilar activities. Tax courts may also look at the taxpayer's success with business endeavors in the past, namely whether or not they were able to make a profit or if it failed eventually. Often, there are serial entrepreneurs who start a business and stop after a few years, start another totally different business, and then change direction again a few years later. Showing a history of starting and stopping activities may be interpreted as the person is trying out different things to see what they might like, and this would be considered a hobby. Factor number six, the taxpayer's history of income or losses with respect to the activity. Past endeavors are fine, but what about the one in question? Has the taxpayer managed to make a profit within the time that's to be expected? Is that profit predicted to increase slowly with more time? According to the IRS Section 183 publication, gross income includes the total of all gains from the sale, exchange, or other disposition of property and all other gross receipts derived from such activity. It also provides that gross receipts from the activity may be reduced by the cost of goods sold to determine gross income. Factor number seven, the amount of occasional profits. A business is defined as an endeavor with the intention of earning a profit. If the number of profitable years are slim or inconsistent, then it's likely a hobby. One test the IRS uses is the three of five test. Have you had a profit in any three out of the last five years? If so, they would most likely consider you are attempting to be profitable. However, if you've lost money three years in a row, chances are the IRS will determine the activity is a hobby. Factor number eight, the financial status of the taxpayer. If the taxpayer is offsetting lost profits through another income source, as the endeavor is neither earning a strong profit or taking up a majority of the taxpayer's time, tax courts may see it as a hobby. The IRS may also look to see if this is expected to become a major source of income. If the taxpayer is not dependent upon earning money for support, they may see it as a hobby. Factor number nine. Does the activity lack elements of personal pleasure or recreation? Well, no one ever said you can't love your job. It's still work. So if the endeavor is seen as too fun, a tax court may wonder if it's more of a recreational hobby. So how does the IRS use these factors to determine the hobby or business? A profit objective in an earlier year does not automatically provide a taxpayer with a blank check with regard to losses incurred in later years. And no single factor makes the determination of hobby versus business. Other factors may be considered, and the mere fact that the number of factors indicating the lack of a profit objective exceeds the number indicating the presence of a profit objective, or vice versa, is not conclusive. For example, if five factors say the activity is not for profit, but four are on the profit side, the activity still could be determined to be engaged in for profit. More weight is given by the courts to objective facts than to the taxpayer's statement of his or her intent. The Internal Revenue Code Section 183 activities not engaged in for profit rules apply to individuals, S corporations, partnerships, and trusts and estates. It does not apply to C corporations. So now let's look a little more deeply at what the law says. It can be a bit hard to understand the legalese, so I want to help explain some of the terms. The basic general rule says, in the case of an activity engaged in by an individual or an S corporation, if that activity is not being done for profit, no deduction created because of that activity is allowed, except as provided in this section. This means that if the IRS determines what you are doing is not deemed a business, you can't write off the expenses against your income unless one of these exceptions applies. 
deductions allowable. In the case of an activity not engaged in for profit to which subsection A, which I just read above, uh, is in place, that the deductions would be allowable under this chapter for the taxable year without regard to whether or not such activity is engaged in for profit. And number two, a deduction equal to the amount of the deductions, which would be allowable under this chapter for the taxable year only if such activity were engaged in for profit, but only to the extent that gross income derived from such activity for the taxable year exceeds the deductions allowable by reason in paragraph one. That's a lot of legalese and hard to understand. But basically what it says is that if the deductions are allowed, it's only up to the amount you've earned doing the same activity. You can't write them off against other income sources. C, activity is not engaged in for profit is defined. According to the IRS tax code, the term activity not engaged in for profit means any activity other than one with respect to which deductions are allowable for the taxable year under Section 162. Section 162 defines what is considered expenses for a business. Or, it says under paragraph 1 or 2 of Section 212, 212 defines expenses are allowed for the production or collection of income or for the management conservation, or maintenance of property held for the production of income. So basically, in summary, this means if your endeavor does not meet the guidelines to be able to deduct the expenses against income, you're not engaged in an activity for profit. To better explain these sections mentioned above, let's look at them in a little more detail. Internal Revenue Code Section 162 allows as a deduction all the ordinary and necessary expenses paid or incurred during the taxable year in carrying on any trade or business. A bona fide business must truly exist to claiming expenses under the Internal Revenue Code Section 162. An expense may qualify as ordinary and necessary if it is appropriate and helpful in carrying on a trade or business, is commonly and frequently incurred in the type of business conducted by the taxpayer, and is not a capital expenditure. Section 212 allows for the deduction of expenses for investment activities. This section was part of the Revenue Code of 1986, replacing a section passed in 1939. This part of the code was passed to allow taxpayers to deduct expenses incurred in the effort to produce income from investments, although not a trade or business in many cases. Presumption. If the gross income, defined as total revenue before any deductions, earned from an activity for three or more of the taxable years in the five previous consecutive taxable years is greater than the deductions for that activity, then it is presumed to be an activity engaged in for profit. In the case of an activity which consists in major part the breeding, training, showing, or racing of horses, the period of review will be two of the last seven years. Treasury Regulations 1.183 provides that if a taxpayer engages in two or more separate activities, deductions and income from each separate activity are not aggregated, either in determining whether a particular activity is engaged in for profit or applying the tax code. Multiple undertakings may be treated as one activity if they are sufficiently interconnected. And we're getting to the end of this legalese part from the IRS, final special rules they have. In general, a determination as to whether there's profit in the consecutive tax years required can be postponed so as not to decide before the close of the fourth taxable year or the sixth taxable year in the case of activity associated with horses following the taxable year in which the taxpayer first engages in the activity. If the taxpayer makes an election to extend the determination, the presumption shall apply to each taxable year beginning with the taxable year in which the taxpayer first engages in the activity. If the gross income derived from the activity for three or two if applicable or more of the taxable years in such periods exceeds the deductions attributable to the activity. An election shall be made at such time and manner and subject to such terms and conditions as the secretary may prescribe. In this case, the secretary means secretary of the treasurer or his delegates. 
And the time for assessing deficiency attributable to the activity is if a taxpayer makes an election with respect to an activity, the time period for the assessment of any deficiency attributable to such activity shall not expire for two years after the date prescribed by law determined without extensions for filing the return of tax for the last taxable year in the period of the required taxable years to which the election relates. Such deficiency may be assessed notwithstanding the provisions of any law or rule of law that would otherwise prevent such an assessment. This basically states the IRS has an additional two years after the normal statute of limitations to determine if you didn't meet the required three of five years of profit to be considered actively engaged in for profit if you elected to postpone the determination. And it's time to take another quick break. So be sure to hang around to hear more information on the topic of hobby versus businesses. We're actually going to hear about some of the court decisions and why they were decided the way they were. So join us. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you up late at night after a long day's work trying to do your bookkeeping? Are you frustrated with your lack of QuickBooks knowledge or feel you don't understand it at all? Do payroll tax calculations and reporting stress you out? Whether you're a sole proprietor or an officer of a corporation, Affordable Bookkeeping and Payroll Services is here to help. We work with overwhelmed entrepreneurs to remove the burden of bookkeeping and payroll tasks, giving them peace of mind and the freedom to do the parts of the business they love. Our bookkeeping clients include service-based businesses, such as medical offices, fast food restaurants, landscapers, and gyms. We also assist franchise owners to create the necessary reports to submit each month. We are a full-service payroll company, assisting clients of 1 to 120 employees. We offer full and self-service options. If you're ready to offload tasks that burden you, reach out to us today at 310-534-5577 or email contact at abandp.com. Call us today. Have peace of mind tonight. If you are interested in the business of rental equipment, be sure to check out Rental Equip Talk Radio with host Donald Charbonnet. We talk to some of the top names in the rental industry, as well as cover topics that include safety, training, fleet management, legal issues, and more. We'll also cover the history and future of the rental equipment industry. Rental Equip Talk Radio can be heard live every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to BizHelp for You. If you have a question or comment about the show, send us an email to media at abandp.com. That's media at abandp.com. Now, back to BizHelp for You. Welcome back to BizHelp for You with Candy Messer. In the last segment, we discussed the nine factors the IRS uses to determine if your endeavor is a business or a hobby. Are there any questions? You can call in at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. In the meantime, let's look at a case that was deciding using tax code regarding hobby loss rules. I recently read an article written by Craig Smalley on the accounting web blog where he discussed this topic and cases that illustrate the determinations of the hobby loss rules. The first case he describes is Kimbrough versus Commissioner, where Donald Kimbrough taught at Chicago Vocational High School and coached both girls basketball and golf. He began to seriously pay golf in 1972. During an unpaid apprenticeship, he began with the PGA in 1976. Donald Kimbrough served as an assistant to the professionals at Pipe O. Peace Golf Course. In 1985, Kimbrough was elected a member of the PGA. Every day, after fulfilling his obligations as teacher and coach, Kimbrough went to the Pipe Peace golf course. Twice a month, he went to Florida to play golf, and in the summer, he was able to play 12 hours a day. 
from 1978 to 1982, he reported losses on his tax return for his golfing activities. All of his expenses were substantiated, and the court found that his golfing activities were engaged in for profit. In the opinion, the court stated, The sole issue for our determination is whether petitioner's golfing activity was an activity not engaged in for profit within the meaning of Section 183. That section provides, in general, that an individual will not be allowed any deduction attributable to an activity if such an activity is not engaged in for profit. The court determined he indeed did have a profit motive, and therefore the expenses were allowed. In the article, Craig Smalley then discusses another case where the tax court made a decision with the opposite result. Gabriel J. Loop versus Commissioner was a case where Loop was a nurse who was an aspiring actor and comedian. Gabriel Loop was audited by the IRS because he incurred expenses in connection with his acting. The IRS disallowed the expenses, stating that the expenses were in connection with a hobby. He lost his case on appeal and took the case to the tax court. In the tax court memo, it stated the facts of the case. In October 2002, Gabriel Loop signed a one-year contract with a talent agent while still working as a pharmaceutical company representative and a licensed intensive care nurse. He claimed that no later than 2002, he became one of nine members of the sketch comedy group and they wrote, produced, and directed their own comedy show. On his 2003 tax return, he claimed $12,811 worth of expenses that were for his pursuits in this comedy group. The only proof of his expenses he had was a log that the court stated were personal expenses. The court also said that the activity was not a going concern and ruled in favor of the IRS. I also found an article written by Peter J. Riley in Forbes magazine in December, I'm sorry, November 2017. He stated horses seem to be a disproportionate number of cases and the aggregate dollars at stake. He discussed a case where the taxpayers won a stunning victory. Finnish R. Welch and Linda J. Waite were told by the IRS that they had tax deficiencies totaling over $3.6 million for the years 2007, 2008, and 2009, and $1.3 million on Dr. Welch's 2010 return since the couple had divorced that year. The Center Ranch, which is the source of the losses and IRS tax notices, was the responsibility of Dr. Welch alone. It had grown from 130-acre property to an 8,800-acre thriving hay operation, cattle business, training facility, and equine veterinary center. The practice has evolved into an equestrian competition where a horse displays its athleticism in a run also known as cutting. Woody B. Tuff is a stallion that Dr. Welch purchased in early 2008 when Woody was seven and he was a superior cutting horse. But now he has a different job as a stud. As Woody's progeny perform well in the cutting competitions, the value of Willie's output rises. Judge Paris first took on the issue of whether Center Ranch constituted one activity for purposes of Section 183. It was pretty clear that it was. Judge Paris then moved on to the classic nine-factor test. How businesslike is the business? Number one, the manner in which the taxpayer carries on the activity. This was a slam dunk for Dr. Welch. The judge stated, Petitioner kept books and records for each of Center's ranch operations to determine their income and expenses. Center Ranch also had separate bank accounts, which is indicative of an activity being carried on as a businesslike manner. Number two, expertise of the taxpayer or his advisors. Dr. Welch had been involved in agriculture since middle school days, and the ranch manager and veterinarian were top-notch. Number three, the taxpayer's time and effort expended in carrying on the activity. The IRS thought they had him there as he only works at the ranch on weekends, but Judge Paris did not buy that as he was putting in three full days a week. Dr. Welch won on number four, expectation that assets might appreciate. Factor five, Dr. Welch was an economics professor, built a very successful consulting firm, 
was a partner in a successful software firm and more. But none of that was a lot like ranching, which is why it was considered neutral. Factors six and seven, the taxpayer's history of income loss and the amount of occasional profits would have gone to the IRS. However, Judge Paris stated, despite the continuous very large losses, it is too early to tell whether the horse breeding operation might turn things around. Center Ranch's wholesale change to a new type of cattle operation restarted the clock for the startup period for that operation. On the eighth and ninth factors, taxpayers' financial status and elements of personal pleasure and recreation, Judge Paris noted Dr. Welch's substantial wealth from other sources have allowed him to pour $9 million of capital contributions into the ranch, and injuries from an automobile accident limit his ability to do the fun stuff like manual labor and riding the horses. So factors eight and nine end up neutral. So what we're learning from these cases so far is it doesn't matter if you're big or small, it matters how you are applying those factors to your business. And as we can see, the key factors that they're really looking at are how are you operating your business? Are you having separate bank accounts? Are you, you know, building your knowledge base and have other professionals around you? So if you are starting a business or you've been in business, but you're not sure if it's going to be considered a hobby or a business, just make sure you do your very best to meet those factors that you can control and show that you are attempting to make a profit. Okay, here's another case that I found. Um, Tony Netty is a tax partner with Reuben Brown in Colorado, a CPA, and holds a master's degree in taxation. He wrote an article published in Forbes magazine December 9, 2018. In it, he wrote, Cecil Barker, famous in the 1970s for helping the songs Reunited at Midnight Train to Georgia become popular, had left the music biz for many years. But in 2001, he came back into the industry launching Sobe Entertainment International. He was CEO and worked 40 to 60 hours per week, consulted with music bigwigs, and retained the services of high-end producers. He also had a CFO using formal accounting software to reconcile the books and maintain payroll. He signed several artists, including his son, and advanced the cost of producing, promoting, and distributing music for its artists. Sobe fell on hard times, cut its employees, and moved to a less expensive studio. Even with these changes, he lost money from 2003 to 2011. Total losses exceeded $37 million. On his individual tax returns, Barker used the losses to offset investment income he earned from previous successes. The losses far exceeded his income each year, so a large net operating loss was created and used to reduce his taxable income in 2011. He was audited by the IRS, and the tax return was adjusted, stating Sobe was a hobby rather than a trader business and he could therefore only deduct its expenses only up to its income each year. The IRS argued that Barker founded Sobe Entertainment to provide a creative use for his son, but he argued that it was run as a business from its start, and making a profit was always the primary objective, even though it hadn't yet occurred. The tax court reviewed the nine factors and noted he had prior success in the music industry. He ran Sobe in a business-like manner, contributed substantial capital, hired a CPA, and worked full-time in an effort to make it successful. When times got tough, he cut its staff. A signed Barker was trying to limit his costs. The tax court also believed that Sobe was positioned for success due to amassing a catalog of songs from its artists. Tony also discussed a case, Aki versus Commissioner. In this case, Aki was a quality insurance engineer who also reported a sports memorabilia business on his tax return, for 2001, 2002, and 2003. He generated $97,000 to $143,000 net losses, which were reported on his Schedule C. According to the following factors, the tax court found, number one, the taxpayer failed to maintain complete and accurate books and records. He did not hire a bookkeeper, prepare budgets, financial reports, forecasts, or other information to help improve his pricing. The taxpayer testified he spent 15 hours per day every day on his memorabilia business, and that was in addition to his full-time job. This would mean he worked 23 hours per day and was seen, and it, that was seen as preposterous. 
Aki could not produce an itemized list of inventory, meaning he had no way of keeping track of what he intended to sell. Aki blamed his declining business on steroids, arguing it devalued his inventory and resulted in large losses. The conclusion reached from this case, even if you don't have a lot of experience in the industry, there are many factors in your control and you must do what you can to run your endeavor like a business. So either way you look at it, a business is meant to earn you income. So it makes sense that the IRS would suspect if you're spending time and money on something that's not earning you a return. But as miscellaneous expense deductions, commonly used for hobby taxes, are no longer allowed under the Tax Cuts and Job Act, make sure you don't miss out on important tax deductions by keeping in-depth records of your business endeavors while proving the success you strive for. It's important that if you want your business to be seen as one by the IRS and not as a hobby, that you take the responsibility of its operations seriously and that you're conducting it in a professional manner. This means you should maintain separate business and personal bank accounts, keep accurate books and records, use the information provided from the bookkeeping to manage the business, consult with people in the industry to learn from them, maybe even work with a coach or mentor, and make efforts to cut costs in order to improve profitability. It's important to show you're truly trying to generate a profit. Hopefully, by following these guidelines, you will be profitable and not have to wonder if the IRS will consider it a hobby instead of a business. Questions? Remember, you can always reach out to us at media at abandp.com. Thank you for listening to our inaugural radio show. I hope you found this topic interesting and that it provided you information to help you understand if a business is able to write off its expenses or if it's considered a hobby without the tax deduction benefit. And please let others know about our show. If you have any comments or questions, again, be sure to reach out to us at media at abnp.com. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And my website is www.abnp.com. Links can be found on my Voice America page. Until next time, have a great week. Thank you for listening to BizHelp for You. Please join your host, Candy Messer, again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a terrific week.